Good morning, radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and fans. I'm Nathan Gobes, producer, here to introduce part three of three of this FBA panel discussion on transitioning a family business. Parts one and two are linked in the description below, so be sure to check out those sections if you haven't already listened. This segment is sponsored by the FBA, as well as Gregory and Gray and Wilchins, Cosentino, and Novins. And with that, I want to introduce our panelists, as always, Rich Hershen, Stephen Wilchins, and for this segment, Aviva Safers. With that, I'll hand it over to Jeffrey Davis, the moderator and host. Thank you very much. And, you know, uh, what we haven't said is that Steve was the president, uh, maybe emeritus now forever, of the FFI, the Family Firm Institute in New England. So it deserves a lot of credit. Rich Hershen and Greg Gray and Gray were sponsors of the Family Business Association. You were the treasurer, from what I know. You, you I was. To, I used to introduce you all the time. You'd stand up at the back of the room and wave at everybody. You yeah. did a great job, Queen Elizabeth, you know, giving the yeah. big wave. Thank you. It's not easy. Yeah. And Aviva Sapers may be the only company that is a dual winner of both the FFI Family Business of the Year Award and the FBA Family Business of the Year Award. She's a double gold star champion. Haven't seen her on NBC News since the Olympics. Uh, They have other people replacing her. But uh, Aviva, congratulations. You are a dual winner. I assume those plaques are still in your lobby of your office, correct? Sure. <laughs> Put them out if you come over. <laughs> hey, hey, we spent a lot on those awards. Don't say that to me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really feel kind of funny asking this question because uh, if parents weren't getting in the way, I probably wouldn't be earning a living and I might have to go to accounting school and work for rich. But, uh, you know, can parents stay involved in the business without getting in the way? Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know any. So I got to hear, uh, you know, and I know, Aviva, you can speak from experience, but uh, who wants to tackle this one first? Aviva, look, your father's been in the business, what, 70 years? Post. Okay, come on. Why don't you set us all up? Has all right. he ever not been in the way? Well, that's a different question. <laughs> That's a totally different question. I'm trying to get this panel going. <laughs> I think, you know, my, my personal experience is somewhat unique because my dad is somewhat unique. Um, we had the good fortune of transitioning the business while he was still around, so it wasn't under the gun or, or, or due to duress. Um, but as I said before, he's a bit of an icon in the industry, and these are, those are awfully big shoes to fill. So uh, what, what his idea of, of transitioning was that he would focus on different elements of our business. We started our charitable strategies division. And that was going to be his sole focus. But you know him. He can't solely focus on anything. Um, but the hard part was, at least initially, was people would come to him for the, for the same type of questions they had all along and they were used to doing for many years because we tend to have some longstanding employees. And I, I think until they tried me on for a while it was hard to to know what was happening and whether i'd be able to fill his shoes to the extent that was necessary um he did he did transition i'd say it may have taken at least two to five years to transition from the prior ceo to a mentor and and the mentor role is great when you can fill it at where i bring things to him and get him his way in I, I, my leadership style was not a benevolent dictator, which he always claims he was, 
but as a more of a, a co-opting kind of uh, leadership style. So I would run things by him and Ed Wallach as well, and just to get some input and get a sense of what they would do or where they stood and ultimately make my own decision. But there were times when my decision wasn't what they wanted and, and, and dad especially, and we get into a few good heated arguments. And the good news is we always hugged and kissed and made up at the end of the day. And, and it, it helped us get along. But, you know, he, he's now still coming into the office and he's 93. Um, and he hasn't been productive in any real way for quite a while. Uh, if he were pulling huge sums out of the business, that would probably be challenging for me. He, he happens to be incredibly self-aware. And so from that standpoint, we are very fortunate. But in other cir circumstances, I'm sure if he were pretty heavy on the payroll, I'd probably be resentful and wondering why he should be getting that kind of money. And it's hard. We're going to have that issue taking the keys away at this point. He shouldn't be driving either, but that's a whole different ball of wax. Well, let me just add to that question before uh, Rich and uh, Stephen get to it, because I think it's big. You know, during COVID, you know, I think that there was something that multi it was a multiplier. And that was the next generation for health reasons. They wanted to run the business. They didn't want their parents coming to work. You know, they wanted them home and safe and baby boomers. And I've uh, spoken to many doctors. They're going through a crisis, a crisis of identity right now. They want to work. They feel they're young. They feel they're still energetic. Unlike their parents at a similar age, they want to go to work. They don't want to be held back. They're being pushed back. And they're in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I hear from these younger millennial children of baby boomers. My parents are getting in the way. They, they got to stay away. They got to leave me alone right now. And so the push, I actually think during COVID has become stronger. I don't know what you, what all of you, the two of you are seeing. I mean, I think you asked the question, can the parents stay on getting away? I think it depends who you're asking. If you're asking the uh, younger generation, the answer is probably no. Uh, if you ask the older generation, sure, they can. Um, you know, it's not easy. I think it can happen. I think it's just defining what that role is going to be. Um, and holding each other accountable to, to staying within that role. Um, you know, I think Aviva said it very nicely in um, one of our previous segments that when she took over as CEO, people would still go to her dad asking things that should go to the CEO. And she coached her dad over time to say, hey, Aviva's running the show now, go talk to her. And I think, I think that's hugely important. And if the older generation can do that and understand that and act like that, then I, then I think it can work um, better. But it's not easy. It takes time, um, but I think it can be done. I think it also depends on the business. I think, uh, Viva, you had very large shoes to fill. Your dad was a legend, is a legend, and a personal service business. So it was very hard. You know, it's, you know, his presence is a huge impact on the business and what you, services you provide and products you sell. Um, but in other industries, it's a lot different. You know, if you're dealing with a real estate company, a family that has real estate, it's a lot, it's not as important to have that person around. Okay. Cause the presence, personal service isn't there. The goodwill is, is important as you know, the goodwill of Bill Sabres passing it to Aviva is a lot different. So I think, I think that, you know, the older generation could stay around, but the role, as Rich said, has to change. It has to change to more an advisory and mentoring type of role rather than authoritative 
or, or uh, situation where, uh, you know, you get into a fight because they have one track and they're thinking about this, but the next generation disagrees. They have to defer. Certainly. Rich, do you want to hit on that one before I go on to my next question or pass? I can pass. I think we've beaten that one up. You know, I, I think, I think we're all saying similar things. It's really understand what the role is and, and make sure everyone stays in their lane. Right. So here's one I see. I used to see uh, pre COVID and now I'm seeing it a lot more during COVID, you know, cause as you said at COVID, a lot of times the children would say, you know, dad and mom don't come to work right now. You got to stay out. And the children were, you know, accelerated their leadership within the business and now that, you know, parents are coming back and I've always seen this, they're saying, what do you do to keep a parent from coming back to the business? Because for the, the, the children who are running the company, that, that, that has so many emotional and operative and organizational issues that it creates. Aviva, I think you've seen it also. Your father would sort of come back and forth to meetings, show up to meetings that you didn't necessarily invite him to. I'm sorry, I have to pick on you. But I've seen this all the time. And people say to me, I don't want my, I don't want my father. I don't want my mother coming back. It's, you know, I've got this thing down now. They can't come back. And what do you do? What do you say to them? I think Rich said it well earlier. Communication is key. Um, Dad and I had some pretty tough conversations where I had to say how I had to lay out for him, how it disrupts what goes on. He's of an old generation where, for example, technology is not important. And when we're trying to have some social um, awareness, some, some uh, internet exposure, or we want to adapt systems that'll help make us more efficient internally, and he gets up in front of the, 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 the entire office and says something like, what do you get from all this stuff? I mean, how does this improve the business? How does it help the bottom line? You know, it just undercuts you every which way you can think of it. And, and then I have to have a, a separate conversation afterwards, scolding him of why he really shouldn't be attending these types of sessions, which I'm sure he didn't want to hear. And trying to put myself in his shoes, he doesn't want to feel antiquated either. Right. Uh, and so, so I've said, listen, I'll invite you back in when we talk about something that's right in your bailiwick. And, and getting him to comply, not so easy. Um, and once again, the personalities, and as, as Steve mentioned, the type of business has very different uh, effects because meetings, the, the office meetings or the, the full staff meetings are very different depending on the size and the type of business you're in. I think also, I think I agree with Aviva. I think also the fact that uh, to give a, a founder to give up or a strong person to give up that control I think you got to decide what's the role and there needs to be some meaningful role, whether mentoring is a meaningful role or something, but to actually deal with the operations is not the role you want that person in. Okay. Cause the younger generation has a different, you know, vision and they're trying to execute. And as Viva, you just said, your, your dad would interrupt in something that you're trying to, you know, relate to the employees or convey. So, so I think you got to have a meaningful role, what that is, and make sure that person feels engaged and feels wanted. Okay. But at the same time, not be part of the day-to-day -day operations of the, of the company. I think that's a great point. 
Right. So that leads me to my next question. I don't know how long we'll take on it. So what are some of the things you notice when you're transitioning a family member away from being an employee, uh, CEO, maybe even a shareholder to just being a board member? There, there, it, it is a transition of roles, uh, but I think it's also ripe for many issues, especially for me as a consultant in trying to deal with the change with people. People don't like change. And they just, they're, they're into their habits. And these CEOs, these founders of a lot of family businesses, they've been, you know, I always say the business has been their mistress. This has been all they've done their whole life. And, you know, you can change their titles, but it's really hard to change their habits. So, yes, I think part of the issue is helping the person find other interests, not only the role of in the business, which is different, but also what are the other interests that, I, that are meaningful to me in my stage of my life that I'm not working in the business. And I think that's something that the next generation can help with as well, but encourage them to pursue other things, whether it's reading, whether it's a charitable organization, uh, something else, but be, have something that's meaningful to the person would really preoccupy that person and take them off from feeling belittled and feeling you know, small because they don't have the role that they served before, I think is very hard. And they feel that the outside community you know, looks at them differently. And I think they have to look, view that, you know, that, that they've had a role, they've passed the torch on, and now, you know, whatever they're doing now is meaningful in their own right. Rich, do you have any thoughts on this as well? I mean, it, it's, it's tough. And I, I think finding other things to do, or even within the business, just finding, you know, different ways, you know, I think being a mentor, even in the, maybe not necessarily the specific business, but the industry in general, are there positions of trade organizations or things like that? I mean, you're talking about people who have, you know, spent generally their entire career working on a business, knowing it so well, there's a lot of wisdom to share there. And so I think there are ways to get that out make the person feel important and that they're, you know, doing something. So, you know, I think be creative, but I, but I think there's ways to do it. Well, you know, I, you know, this whole transition to a new role, a lot of people tell me, you know, I, I don't have any hobbies. My hobby was work. And so they just, they, they want to go back to work and just sit in their office and joke around with employees and talk and take calls. And uh, it, it compromises the next generation because they don't want to play the bad cop. And I think that that's an important thing too. How do you sort of manage this process? I think it's through good counsel, good professionals, because you don't want to turn the child into the cop, bad cop role all the time. It's a, it's a dangerous hat to be wearing. you agree? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, Jeff, your role is so important in that area as well, because you're able to deliver the message in a soft way and that to convince the person um, that they should view things differently. And that's a hard thing that you do, um, but I know you do that successfully. 
I think that the, having outside interests is something that children can encourage earlier on and expose them to, whether it's taking additional courses and, and, and you mentioned charitable stuff, Steve, but they may want to go back to school and learn about some other things and to, and to be a mentor or a role model in their industry, as Rich talked about, it's great. The one thing that can complicate that as long if it hasn't been planned out is the financial situation. That You're assuming that financially the parent can transition out and still maintain what they need financially. And so one of the things you just want to make sure as you incorporate that is what their cash flow and cash needs look like when they move on to that next phase and stage. Because if they have to stay involved for financial purposes, that's when it can get even hairier. Right, because it could be either when you're dealing with the financial aspect, it could be a gifting, it could be some type of deferred compensation arrangement, it could be some type of installment sale. And there are many strategies to implement to make sure that the, the first generation uh, is well taken care of and can live the lifestyle that they're entitled to. Well, clearly this is a very complicated subject. Uh, it's occupied, I think, a lot of us for our career, uh, discussing families, dealing with the legal aspects, dealing with the emotional habitual habits and skills uh, resentments, dealing with the tax and financial issues and just, and being part, and even the insurance, as you said, Aviva, a lot of this stuff can be dealt with through insurance and through proper planning. I think we all feel that way. The one thing for sure is just don't take it for granted. It's not a, it's not a casual process. It's a process that needs a lot of structure and organization and the right professionals. And we here at the Family Business Association and Radio entrepreneurs, uh, we're you know committed to these quarterly segments uh, to try to inform these families about how to handle these transitions. And I know all these ex experts who I have on my panel are people that I would call upon, and they can be accessed through our uh, Radio Entrepreneurs uh, website. So, with that, I'll turn it over to our producer Nathan Gobes. Nathan, not part of a family business. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. No, I'm not. But uh, thank you, Rich, Stephen, and Aviva, of course, as well. As Jeffrey mentioned, we run these panels quarterly, and we'll be running another one as we get further into the fall and, and winter. And so be sure to follow Radio Entrepreneurs on YouTube, as well as any of the other uh, channels that we stream on. Press that bell button so you get notifications when we release another video, as all of our content is relevant to business owners and family businesses. Once again, I want to thank our panelists. I want to thank the FBA and thank you, our Radio Entrepreneurs listeners. We'll be back with another segment on Radio Entrepreneurs.